a favour the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations and the magic of their workflow. And I'm here this week with Beth Collier. Hello Beth. Hello, how are you? I'm very good and I'm very excited about this because we've tried to be organising this for a while. It's actually happened and I'm, I'm really pleased. Oh, good. Me too. Excellent. Would you like to tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Beth Collier, and I help people improve their communication, creativity, and leadership skills. And I started my career working in film and television production in Los Angeles, and then I spent a decade working in financial services here in London before starting my own company. And now I help people through strategic communication work, advice, one-on-one coaching with their communication, and team workshops on everything from storytelling and creativity to improving business writing and leadership. Yeah, and you also have one of my favorite newsletters. Um, oh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, I, and I write Curious Minds, which is a newsletter I do on Substack every week where I follow stories that I am curious about, most with the intention of merging business, creativity, and pop culture, because those are all things that I love to research and, and read and share. I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you don't follow it already, then you should follow it because it's one of the newsletters that I always read when it arrives, as opposed to going, oh, I'll read that later. So, Oh, that's that's lovely feedback. Thank you, Tim. That's a nice compliment. Well, it's, it, you always find such fascinating stories, I think, is the is the thing that um, I, I like. And there's always something, I guess not always, but certainly more recently, it feels like you've been digging more into the real story behind the thing we think we know. I, I do like those stories where we get pretty comfortable with the one we've been told and really digging into it. And some of that actually is involved... I mean, those are tough ones to write because for some of them, I've got one that's in, I'm in the process of now, like I go and find the research papers when people talk about, you know, research says this thing and there might be things from like psychology or we've just accepted them of like, oh, this is an absolute because we've been saying it for 50 years and you can find a million Google search results. But it's really interesting when you dig into an actual research paper and you see what assumptions and decisions have been made based on the actual experiments that were done. Like it's just, I mean, there are some that I shake my head and I've, I have a friend who is actually a neuroscientist. And so I have brought him in sometimes to go, okay, this is a language that you speak more fluently than I do. This is what I am seeing. Am I reading this correctly? Like just to get that, that check. But yeah, it's really interesting to find out what just becomes accepted. And that's what I want to encourage people to do is to be curious and question these things to get to get to the answer, get to the real story. You're making me think of, are you aware of Merlin Mann? Have you come across Merlin Mann? Sorry, who? Merlin Mann. He's a podcaster, writer. He does a few podcasts, but he talks a lot about what he calls turns out writing. Yeah. That that sort of kind of contrarian kind of, well, you know that thing that you've always thought, turns out the opposite is true. To, and, and that's yeah. kind of often not really the case. And it's using a small sample of information and kind of it's all there to get that sort of turns out sort of splash. What is it? The, the story gets halfway around the world before the truth has got its boots on kind of thing. Yeah. It's so easy. It's so easy for kind of the, the, the fake, I don't want to say fake news, but the 
the the misapprehension or the the misuse of something or the the kind of the juicy end of a boring thing kind of being suddenly becomes like the story isn't it well and also it's like the game telephone which i don't know if you played that when you were a kid where you know you sit in a circle and like you say something to someone and then they you know they all pass it along and by the end Mm -hmm. whatever is said is never anywhere near to to what was said at the beginning so all of these things can kind of get chopped and changed as they go along so that's why it's so important for people to to really be to be curious and to ask those questions you know something doesn't sound right you know like one of the stories i wrote recently was about some research that said storms hurricanes with feminine names kill more people than masculine names and i thought well like really like where does that come from and so i just looked into it and found out like actually that's not true and if you the way you cut the data it's kind of like you can cut the data to support the argument you want to make but you need to really look at like what is all of the data like when you find out that hurricanes only had women's names for 30 years in the united states then it makes sense in those 30 years that hurricanes with women's names were doing more damage because there were no hurricanes with men's names but you know people leave out those little bits of the story so then you know if this is the argument you want to make people will look for the the information that supports that argument so okay you ready to you ready to get into this then i am ready let's go for it okay fantastic so same five questions we always ask and the first question is always what's something that you wish you'd learned sooner so one of the things I think I, I wish I'd learned sooner were all, I, I wish I had learned that internal communication or what is sometimes referred to as employee communication, like the career around that. Because when I was in school, you know, I was very set on, I was going to be a lawyer, but I was interested in journalism as well. And so writing was really important to me, but I didn't really know all of the, the kind of career paths that there could be in communication in particular like working with employee communication, which that's what I ended up building my career in. That's what I really liked. There are a lot of people you might, you know, they talk about journalism and being press officers or, you know, maybe doing PR and that sort of thing. But I really enjoy the taking strategy and and working with execs and, and senior leaders and helping them distill that into messages and ideas that they can communicate with everybody and looking at ways to talk about you know, what you're doing, why is your company a great company to work for? How are you going to develop people? What are you going to do in terms of your values to actually make it more than words on a piece of paper? And I didn't know about employee communications or internal communications when I was in school. It wasn't until about nearly five years into my career when I saw a job, you know, communication advisor, and I read the description and thought, oh, I could do those things. I like those things. So I wish I'd known that a little bit earlier, but it's it's worked out all right for me. I mean, I was able to, to do that in New Zealand and, and in London as well, and to continue to do it now. But yes, I would have liked to have learned about that a little bit earlier. Do you think it's something that has increased? Do you think there would have been an opportunity to learn it earlier? Or do you think actually what's happened is over time, companies have realized the importance of it and it's become a thing? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit above. Like, I think there was something there before. I mean, when I, I laugh because when I would tell people I was going to be a lawyer, like people would tend to just leave the conversation there. Like people in their mind, I mean, there are all kinds of lawyers, but people have an idea what a lawyer is. You know, say you're going to be like a firefighter or a police officer or a teacher. Like we know what those things are, or at least we have an idea of it. Whereas if I say I want to work in communication, you know, I mean, I still get that today where people are like, well, what does that mean? And, mm-hmm. and also people will interpret it as like, 
well, why would anyone need help with that? Because, you know, we all talk and, and really <laughs> limiting like what communication is like. And this is what, what's interesting to me is I'm always, I mean, as you know, looking for examples in business, in the media, in pop culture of where people are either doing this really well or where they're not doing it so well. And I mean, I, I laugh like this year already. I mean, there are so many examples of where people are not doing this well here in the UK. We had piano ferries laying people Ooh. off in a recorded Zoom call, you know, 800 people in one, you know, three minute call your job is gone, the end. And I've been writing about this for a long time about how to do redundancies with respect and how this is a chance for companies to, to actually demonstrate their values, to actually demonstrate they care about people, but they've got to put effort into it. And there are companies who have done it well. I mean, it's never a good message to tell someone they don't have a job, but there are some that have done it so poorly. And so that's the thing. I, I think as this comes out, people are understanding, and particularly out of the pandemic, that there is more need to communicate with people, that we have to, we have to tell people, it's not just telling them once, you have to tell them multiple times because we're getting so much information and some people, you know, they can go, you and I can read the same email and we might take away something different from it. I often talk about BTC, box tick communication, and, and I don't ever refer to it as comms. A lot of people do. I don't, because I think when you talk about comms, you thought you think about the noun, you think about the thing, like have the comms gone out? We, we need comms, but I want to talk about communication, the verb, the discipline, like how are you communicating with your people? And I do think there's more awareness now of how important this is because we we've seen in the pandemic, we see people resigning so much and people just being un, unhappy with their work, you know, mental health suffering, all of this stuff, all of the leadership stuff goes back to communication. So that is always my mission to help people understand this is not a soft skill. When you say the word soft makes it sound like it's not important, like it's easy, like it's frivolous. And it's not. I mean, you can look back to so, I mean, there are just so many examples of where people have hurt performance. They've hurt um, relationships and they've hurt their own reputation purely because they haven't invested in their communication. What? drew you to this? So I, I think what's drawn me to it is that I knew with communication, it was an opportunity to write, which I really enjoy writing. I've always enjoyed writing. It was an opportunity to work with people. And that was really important to me. I really love working with people and an opportunity to help people. Like if I can help someone understand how their job is contributing to the overall company, to the strategy, how it's making a difference in somebody's life, like that feels good to me. And I think about I the first job I had interning um, at a TV show, I got all the jobs nobody wanted, obviously, because I was an intern. I was the bottom of the, you know, of, bottom of the pile. And I used to photocopy scripts and I would photocopy scripts for hours. And it is it was a really boring, dull job. Right. However, but if I didn't do that well, it would affect a lot of other people. Like if an actor doesn't get the new pages, then they don't learn the lines. If a director doesn't get the right pages, then they haven't set up the, the shots. You know, the prop team has to get the props. The lights need to know where to go. Like, and it all, it all flows on. So even these like small tasks that maybe don't seem that important because they are important. And, and I want people to see that, that like the role they play is making a difference and for leaders to help people see that they are valuable. So the chance to work with people, the chance to write, and also it's, it's a great field for thinkers, for people who really want to look at, okay, if we want to, if our goal is X, 
how do we communicate that to people in a way that is going to resonate with them? Like there's, there's a lot of problem solving that goes into it. And it's an opportunity for a lot of creative thinking as well, because you're constantly solving problems. You're, you're constantly solving problems when you work in communication. And a lot of times you're doing it with constraints, you know, whether it's time or it's money. I mean, I've written a lot of things for people before, before I've actually had their input. So you're, you're having to know how they think and what's going to matter to them to come up with something that they can get approved quickly. So yeah, the challenges of it and just, just getting to work with people and write and think, those are all things that, that really drew me in. You said about problem solving and a big chunk of what I do is process redesign and, and problem solving and working to, to help businesses make their, their work work better. And I was talking to someone a few weeks ago and they said, what's the most common reason that things don't work? And it was immediately for me, communication and accountability. No one talks to each other and no one knows whose job it is. And accountability partly comes down to communication. It's so fundamental to so many parts of, of work and business, you know, do people understand what their job is? If they don't, it's because of communication. Do people yeah. understand what the other person's job is? If they don't, it's because of communication. Are teams working well together? If they're not, it's probably communication. Mm -hmm. Is massively fundamental. And the fact that it is so often left to, well, so often not even considered about how within a team we are going to communicate. What's good. And when, and it, or it tends to be, oh, we'll, we'll just get Slack. We'll just get Microsoft mm -hmm. Teams as if that's going to do the communicating for them. They'll think about so, the output yes. rather than the outcome. Like, oh, yes. I need to communicate. Like, I'll just get this thing. You know, I'll just send an email. I'll just do, you know, a town hall. Well, why? Like, I always start with people. Like, what's the purpose? What are you mm -hmm. trying to achieve? Like, don't don't tick the box. That's the way to do mm -hmm. it. You know, I mean, there are, there are things that as technology has changed, sometimes people will come, they will come to me with the solution. Like I need a video, I need a newsletter, I need an email. And I will always take them back to say, well, tell me what you're trying to achieve. What's the purpose of mm -hmm. this? Because videos can be great, but there are a lot of people that don't want to watch a 10 minute video. They want to read a you know, one minute summary of the key mm -hmm. point and so it's really there's that whole piece around not only understanding your purpose but understanding your audience because even things I can remember an organization that had a printed newsletter and there will be people now that if you say that they kind of turn their nose up oh that's so old school but for some people that is the best way to communicate because maybe their office mm -hmm. environment is one where they have a break room and people sit around and read the newsletter. Maybe they've worked together for 20 years and like, hey, Joe and I have lunch every day and I know Sam's kids and the community feel that I, and they get excited to see their picture in the newsletter. They take it home to their kids and their families. So it's, you've got to understand that audience. Don't be a snob about these things and think it has to be one way or another. Understand your audience and then communicate in the way that's right for them. It's not about mm. what you want to do. It's about your audience. No. And I suppose that comes back to the idea of you, if somebody isn't understanding your communication, then that's not their fault. Mm. You know, saying, yeah, your job is to make it as simple as possible. Like I say, you want to write emails that make and, and reports and anything else. You want people to feel smart, not stupid, whoever you're writing them to. You don't want people reading your stuff going, wait, I don't understand, or I'm not sure. You want to be clear. I was laughing. There was a picture I saw the other day of um, someone who... So he went to a coffee place and they asked him his name and he said, Mark with a C. 
and the coffee cup was spelled C-A-R-K. So, you know, Mark with a C, like, you know, you think like, okay, I, I get your name. <laughs> I mean, so it's all these things that you like this and, and we laugh about these things, but it's because you think like, well, I understand what Mark meant, but somebody else didn't. And so it's always, that's mm -hmm. always the challenge of communication is, you know, it's, it's about what your audience hears, not what you say. And so you need to make it, so it's not about talking to people like they're idiots. It's just make it easy. Life is hard enough. We got a lot of, we got enough things to read and do and focus on. Don't make people use all of their energy trying to decipher what you mean. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in there. I'm going to have to sit with that for a little bit. So was there a, what was a formative text in, in you getting to here? Did you have a, was there a book or a, something that made you kind of, that changed the direction of where you're going? And you said you started to want to be a lawyer, you anything communication. Was there a, something that you read or saw or, or heard that made you go, oh, that's, that's changed things for me. There's a, I've, just, I've got a different outlook on what I want to be, what I think about things now. Well, the, the biggest change I think happened for me when I had the opportunity to go to Los Angeles to work in film and TV. And that was an internship that I was able to do through my university. And when I did that, I, it had always been a dream of mine to live in California. And then when I did that, I was like, oh, now I've done this. Maybe I want to pursue this instead of law school. Like maybe I want to, I, I love the entertainment industry. I love pop culture. But then I came and studied in London. I'd already kind of lined this up that I was going to do a semester abroad. And when I came to London, I traveled around Europe and, you know, kind of thought, okay, now I've traveled Europe. But then I thought about other places in the world I wanted to travel. And I had the opportunity to do a job that would allow me to travel around the world when I graduated. So I, I joke, you know, I took the least, the lowest paying job that I was offered, but the most exciting in terms of I got a chance to see the world. And, you know, I thought I would do it for a short period of time. I mean, I got to go like not just all over you know, North America, but I got to you know, go around the Caribbean islands. I got to go to Europe. I got to go to Asia, you know, Australia. And when I did that, I thought I want to live abroad again, because for an American, it's really difficult to live abroad. We don't have the same ease of moving Commonwealth countries or overseas experience concept that some people have. It's just not a thing in the U.S. And so it was really difficult to live in another country. And I thought if I could live in another country one more time, wouldn't that be great? And then I'll come back and I'll be in America for the rest of my life. And I moved to New Zealand and that's when I started working really focused on communication, but then just found my curiosity kept me wanting to learn more. So as soon as one place was crossed off the list, I was like, Oh, I just met someone who told me about this other place that I might want to visit <laughs> and thinking about how could I, and it, it will never end Tim. It will never end there. I even places now, like I can think, Oh my gosh, I haven't been there since 1995. I wonder what that's like now. So, I mean, that curiosity was always with me. And I think it's interesting to come back full circle doing these things around communication. That was always something I was interested in. And to be in London now, working here and having a life here, I do say it's it's been a very long one year away that I planned because I'm <laughs> that was back in, back in 2004 when I left. So but yeah, it was that track. It was, you know, seeing something new in LA and then traveling. And that's just opened. I, I love traveling. I love meeting people from different places and learning about different cultures and history that just feeds me. So 
the longer I did that, law school just got farther and farther away <laughs> until now I think we can probably safely say that I will not be um, going down that path at this point. Was the was the pop culture, the pop culture angle, the, the, I don't want to say obsession, but it comes through in a lot of your stuff. It's clearly something, and and most of our robust exchanges on social media have been around around pop culture. But was that was that there before you did the LA internship, or did that really spark the the interest? Oh yeah, I grew up loving film and TV, going to the movies with my dad, really seeing TV obviously grow from we had cable cable TV with. I think it was 28 channels when I was a kid. And then obviously I wanted to work for NBC because NBC had all the best shows. And then when I, I did work for NBC, I thought this is like the greatest thing in the world. And of course now network TV has changed so much. Now you've got the streamers, Netflix and everybody. It's wild to see that change. But yeah, I was always interested. I mean, it's storytelling, right? You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's writing, it's stories. I like sports. I like music. I like books. I like, you know, all of that stuff, theater, like that's so pop culture has been a big thing for me. And what I've tried to do in a lot of my writing is share business lessons, but with a pop culture angle, because I think it's more fun. And I do bring in history and I do bring in, you know, politicians and I will bring in literally like, that's the whole thing. I want to have a mix because somebody is going to respond to me making a reference to Shakespeare but a lot of people are not. And so I've got the back to the future reference or the basketball player or football player reference or the Taylor Swift reference. And, and that's the fun thing too, Tim. I think also being away from my home country, like I think when you go and live in another country, you realize how much of you, who you are is the culture where you're from. And I am mm -hmm. from, like, I, I'm from the Midwest. In America, I'm really proud of coming from the Midwest. We, we are really into basketball where I come from. Really, you know, nice people. And so there's that whole Midwest thing that comes out of me, I think particularly when I'm out of the Midwest, because here no one really knows that much about the state where I come from. Right now we've got um, a big basketball tournament going on that's really exciting for me and other people who care about basketball. But obviously to a lot of people in London, it's like they would never even know it existed. So yeah, I've, I've loved it for a long time. And I think being away from it has probably that, that love and working in industries where I wasn't in, in, it wasn't around me all the time made me realize how much I missed it. Mm. So this is completely not part of the, uh, part of the, the format, but I've been waiting to have a proper conversation with you about this for some time. Okay. So Ted, Ted Lasso is the most human television program ever written. Discuss. Oh, I, lo I, I love Ted Lasso. I love Ted Lasso because it was funny when someone introduced this to me, they were like, you're going to love it because you're a lot like Ted Lasso. I mean, Midwestern, enthusiastic, like fun, goofy. I don't think I'm as far, especially in the second season. He's out there compared to, to my personality, but I love the energy, there's a vibe of kindness and generosity and authenticity and humility and care that I love about Ted Lasso. I also love the relationships, particularly the, the women's roles, which I don't think this has been written about as much, but between, you know, the two women, we would be used to seeing kind of a competitive dynamic, but instead getting to see the, the supportive nature of women, you know, from very different backgrounds and demographics. I love that element of it. And just the positivity. I think 
we are all craving. There, there's a lot of wonderful shows on right now. A lot of them, like I will sometimes say, like, I don't want to watch a dark show tonight. A lot of mm-hmm. shows, like they can be very well written and very interesting. But, you know, when you finish it, you might think that was depressing. <laughs> especially during the pandemic I was like I don't need to watch anything about the apocalypse or death or loss or suffering or pain I just want to have something that feels like an ice cream cone you know and that's what Mm -hmm. I think Ted Lasso was and is for a lot of people is just this feeling of positivity and of course being an American coming into London is a fun one as well to see the things Mm -hmm. that he doesn't understand that, that Americans may not know but to to show that it's not It's not coming from a bad place. That's the thing I always would say to people when you think, oh, how does an American not know Manchester or Leicester or all this stuff? Well, would you know the small regional towns? I mean, what can you tell me about the Indianapolis Colts? I mean, they're not a small team, but, you know, they're not something that a lot of people in the UK would go, oh, I can tell you all about the quarterbacks. And, you know, it's just, it's it's your point of reference. So, yeah, I love to have that. So what what do you think? Well, I'm a huge, huge fan. What I think is really different about it because I think I think you're right it's got that sort of positivity and energy but it doesn't feel sickly sweet there's an edge to it but I mean that I, I said human when I, did, I described it earlier because I think one of the things about it is I don't think I have worried about a character on a tv show ever as much as I worried about Nate in season two <laughs> I remember saying to my wife we'll put, uh, and it wasn't even like while we were watching it. It was like, you know, two days since we'd watched On the last episode Tuesday. over breakfast. Yeah. And I was just <laughs> worried about Nate. Like, I, I, and I think there's something about the way that that show works, where I think because all the characters all feel a little bit more real somehow than you would expect for a show like that. I think because it plays with that format of kind of sitcom type show, it's working everyone's a little bit more real than you would expect for a sitcom. You know, thinking... Uh, cheers or whatever like that you know they're all archetypes and and so on so I, I think there's something about that in it and I think the there's just something very very clever about the way that it just I've never felt as invested in characters in a comedy mm. the closest thing the closest thing I would compare it to of late and I think it's possibly because like you say what we've been through recently globally is um is Shit's Creek another, another one where just another ice cream cone sh- yeah yeah absolutely and a show that is just seeing the content of comedy for mm. since you know for, forever. It's clearly easier to be funny when you're being mean, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it's it, mean. Mean comedy is obviously easier. Kind comedy must be really hard. Like mm. having a show like a, a show like Shit's Creek or, or Ted Lasso, which is so which is so genuinely funny. No one's punching down. Yeah. is like, that must be so difficult to do yeah you don't have to lose for me to win it's kind of a nice proposition that way that, like mm. there can be funniness but you can still like these characters and they're also bringing up issues in a way that maybe we aren't used to seeing on a comedy what what ted lasso the whole mental health storyline that it's had that's bringing awareness. You're kind of giving people their medicine and they don't realize it to know that, hey, this guy who seems like everything is good in his life and he's you know joyful and he's optimistic, he's still struggling with things. And how do you support someone in that situation? I feel like the mental health conversation is one that's more relevant than ever. And even for people to just see that 
it's possible someone looks quote unquote fine and they still need support. So I think it's, it's doing a nice service there of actually just bringing awareness to, to what some people can really relate to. And just following that thought along, as you said, around the, the relationship between Rebecca and Keely being Keely, yeah. like, like an, an actual friendship and an actual feeling like a real relationship and it's not the kind of competitive bitchy what you might expect I think it's very similar in the way that the male friendships work in that you know they just don't talk about anything meaningful and they clearly love each other very deeply but they are not communicating mm-hmm. um, how they are feeling about things really and um, there's a whole there's a whole segment isn't there and I think it's in season two around how well we're worried about it well are you going to say anything it's like, oh god no you know it's because that's not what we do it's not what men yeah. do and you know that and in the same way that that's and I think what you would see in in a more I guess normal or straightforward um especially sitcom is you would have those two characters having a deeper meaningful conversation which would probably be punctuated by them sitting in a bar or there being some kind of other but 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 that doesn't happen <laughs> as yeah. often as, as as you know it, it should and I think it feels far more real and far more far more relatable to just see these men who are all struggling in their own way who are completely unable to voice their feelings in various hilarious ways it, it, it's it, it's interesting you pick that up tim because i think from some of the reports i've read about men and men's mental health and suicide rates of men and all of this stuff i think it's also bringing a conversation and awareness about how some people might be feeling and you're right like in mm-hmm. sitcoms like it reminds me like what you're saying I just started thinking of when um I can remember the the very special episode of you know where there would be sitcoms I don't know if you remember this where they would tackle like an issue you know on a very uh-huh. special episode it was like somebody had drugs or somebody was alcoholism or child abuse or so it was like today on a very special whatever and they are bringing in issues but just making it part of an ongoing conversation so mm-hmm. it, it, I'm I'm very curious to see what they do with it, it this season and you know beyond depending on how long they go where where the story is going to go what's going to happen to Nate you know so I've never been so worried about a tv character in my life um, but, <laughs> I do feel um, for the actor <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sure um, like he was probably getting a lot of love season one and season two he's probably you know particularly now like now you've gone full bad guy so yeah full, full gray-haired bad guy he's gone proper Leyland Palmer hasn't he but okay tangents we'll, we'll close let's let's move let's move on um so second half of the podcast about your workflow and your life and the things that make your life easy, life easier and so on so I was just wondering what is oh. something that you absolutely cannot live without like what's your thing that like every day absolutely it's front and center of your of, of your work yeah so it's probably my news feed Tim I read okay. a lot and I read a lot of different news so I have subscriptions to a lot of newspapers both like US and UK because those are kind of my two biggest um, areas of interest obviously where I'm from and where I live and where my clients are as well. But then I also have some publications I subscribe to. I have a news feed that aggregates different. I get a lot of different kinds of sites. So from the Wall Street Journal to BuzzFeed, because I, I'm always on the lookout for things that will be interesting. And because I also write about creativity too. So I'm looking for how did that person make a shot? Like, oh my gosh, look at the passing game 
they are doing this in a creative way. Nobody else in the NBA is doing this. So I'm looking for sports and music and politics and literature and, and all of that. So I, I read every day. Yeah, I did. I did do a detox for a few days as a challenge. I, I thought, wow, it really shows your age when like as a child, I remember having to do a competition where we didn't watch TV for a few days in school. Like that was, <laughs> and we got, and we got ice cream if we could go like three days without watching TV. And here I am as an adult going, okay, I'm not going to read any news because sometimes I mean that that's the problem is I am mining for gems I'm I, I'm mining for some some little anecdote or story that I'm like oh I can run with that but if you read a lot of news a lot of news is depressing a lot of news is particularly the last two years death or COVID so it's it's hard to be into this from my work and my interest but then also to stay positive when you're like oh my gosh this is really negative stuff I'm absorbing every day I was going to actually ask that because I feel like since 2016 have had to make a conscious decision between being well-informed and my mental well-being. How do you manage that? Um, different on different days. I mean, I, I have thought about like actually trying to give myself a time limit. The problem is I never know when I'm going to find something. If, if I went on, say, Twitter and I didn't find anything that was useful, then I could go, well, I'm not going to go to Twitter anymore but I do find useful things on Twitter. So that means I have to be willing to dig through the dirt to like, it's just, it's just part of it. So I think I did read about somebody who does a weekend detox, which I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. And it, and it's knowing you can't like, I'm not going to get every single story, no matter what I read. I just read a story this morning um, from New Zealand, another area, because I live there, I'm, I'm interested in their news. And I thought, how did I not hear this story before? Well, because you can't read every single story. <laughs> You're not going to know everything. And that's one of the nice things like, uh, you know, LinkedIn and, and other places where people I know in different parts of the world might share with me to say, hey, did you see, mm-hmm. I mean, you said something before, like, hey, did you see this? It's like, oh, great. Because it's it, you can't stay on top of everything but yeah I suppose time limits are probably a good thing but I am not adhering to that myself yet so <laughs> I, I will be honest about that like but in my mind that would be a good way to to help balance that it's I mean it is it is hard I think the thing that I found most difficult about it and like I say it's mainly been since 2016 so Brexit and Trump basically yeah and, 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 a lot of negativity yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah seems that seemed to be the start and I think the thing I found most frustrating, particularly about Twitter, because I've never really used Twitter for news. I've always just used it to follow people I find interesting, you know, musicians, comic book writers, artists, that sort of thing. The people who make bad puns, particularly. But the, the irritating things about, like, people being actually whole people and not just, like, the thing they make is that as, as the world has become more polarised and politicized and so on is that you'll follow somebody because you know you like their music and inevitably the world starts to impinge on on, on their twitter feed and 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 it's incredibly frustrating and i i, I wish they wouldn't because like, i just want the good stuff <laughs> but yeah and, and but i think it shows how much of just how deeply things have changed in in that aspect over the last few years quite how polarized the uh, discourse has become because it just comes through in every aspect of everybody's communication there. Yep. And I think there's a lack of tolerance or and a lack of curiosity to say that if you say one thing that doesn't 
necessarily mean I know exactly who you are. So like if mm-hmm. you like ACDC, let's say, you might just like ACDC. You that may that there may not be a bigger story to that than people will want to pull in. We try to put too many people, I think, on in boxes of like they're good or they're bad. I found this in my research. You know, when you're researching people that you think they're really interesting. And then you find out, I mean, if you're looking at people from a hundred years ago, they are not going to have had views that are acceptable in 2022 in all areas. Right. And particularly mm. like when I'm looking at people with, with women, like they weren't always great to the women. They, you know, if you look at Einstein as I did and you find out, oh, he was a really terrible husband. And maybe I wish I hadn't read all of this stuff about him, but you can still admire someone's work and you know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're saying, oh, I support cheating on your wife or all this, but that's what you see a lot. I think on social media, that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of the negativity comes from is that people, you know, if you criticize or question something, then people are like, oh, well, you obviously think all these things too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've just got to be a little bit more curious and a little more open-minded about people that, you know, we, we don't know who people are. And I think that's one of the downsides of social media is that people have this anonymity that gives them a whole level of courage that they would not have if they were seeing people face to face. Hundred percent. So I've just finished reading Nick Offerman's most recent book, Where the Deer and the Antelope Play, and the word that he uses all the way through that is nuance. Yeah, he talks about nuance a lot, and is and it's a really, I mean, it's a lovely three-part meditation on the planet and outside of the whole first chapter is him walking one of the big national parks in the US with two of his friends and him struggling with the nuance of this is you know the the preservation of this this beautiful countryside came at the cost of the slaughter of many Native Americans moving the off the country yeah. and I go and you know it was a good thing but it was a bad thing and yeah. quite a lot of the time we have to hold these these opposing positions and they're not really reconcilable and we have to sort of be be able to manage to, to accept that there are nuances in the situation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it's having more patience, more grace, more kindness toward everybody to know that you can say anything and people we're living in outrage times. You know, if I said, mm-hmm. you know, Tim, do you want to have a cup of tea? Someone would be like, well, why do you like tea? Do you know how tea is made or what's wrong with coffee? Why don't mm-hmm. you like coffee? I mean, like people can go, <laughs> crazy, you know, can, can really respond about things. You know, if I said, we're living in an interesting time frame, but you're right. Nuance is something that, that gets lost in a lot of those discussions. Mm-hmm. When you were talking about Einstein and, and the things you discovered about him, was the story about the man who invented cornflakes one of yours? Or No, but I, I have not written about that, but I know I know about it. But no, that, that's was, I've not written was, about was, it. Was, I, I somehow ended up on the, the Wikipedia page, Dr. Kellogg's Wikipedia page. I, if yeah. You, if you read, so I'm not right in thinking like it was something like he was part of an anti-masturbation sort of. Yep. It was his whole deal, wasn't it? Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Like making these bland cereals, and yeah, it's Just, it's yeah. yeah. There's some there's some oddities there. A lot of those in those old food. I did write about Pringles, about the That's the man right. behind both the container and the actual chip. And I've never looked at Pringles the same when I found out <laughs> how um, few potatoes actually go into those. <laughs> but that's how Pringles, that's why you find them everywhere around the world because there's enough artificial stuff that doesn't go bad. 
So um, yeah, sorry, I've ruined Pringles and um, maraschino cherries. I have written about those. Uh, yes, no, that was a good, that was that was a good one. And yeah, I don't look at those things spoiled. the same anymore. <sighs> no, no. So yeah, no spoilers because everyone has to go and check check this out um, <laughs> on on your Substack. So do you have a particular news aggregator that you like and would recommend? Just out of interest before we move on. So yeah, um, I do. I have Apple News, which I use. It gives mm -hmm. me a lot of different things, but I do a lot of, I have other subscriptions to publications as well to get them. So, you know, from Vulture and New York Magazine to the New Yorker, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, Guardian Times, Financial Times, like I'll read New Zealand Herald sometimes, LA Times. Can't always can't get the Chicago Tribune, which is really annoying that it has like <laughs> it does something of like you are not in the US when I but occasionally I can get stories through other aggreg aggregators for that. But yeah, Apple News does one that that gives me a lot of different stuff. And then I go to a mm. lot of sites too. I still yearn sometimes for the days of RSS feeds where you could sign up to a site's RSS feed and then it would all just come into a nice reader. Yeah. And then then Google killed Google Reader and just people stopped doing RSS. It was such, so nice and easy and there weren't ads everywhere. My, my, my tech. You're revealing your age on that. Yeah. Like I still like a good old printed publication, which, you know, you don't find as many. I mean, you can obviously still find papers, but, you know, <laughs> like there's, I remember the first time I had a magazine on my iPad, I was like, oh, this is cool. But I still actually, I mean, I went full circle from like when the Kindle came out, I was all about the Kindle and now I'm back. To, to books. I like a physical mm. book. I like writing in a book and marking up when it's mine. I can do that. You know, obviously I wouldn't do that to a, someone else's book, but when it's my copy, I like having a physical book. So mm. yeah, I'm, I'm sad that there will be fewer and fewer. Entertainment Weekly was a publication I loved. It was actually for pop culture, but also it was great writing. Great. So a lot of great mm -hmm. writers started, you know, worked at Entertainment Weekly and they just recently announced they're not going to do, not only are they no longer weekly, they went to monthly, which is a pretty big jump to go from weekly to monthly, mm -hmm. but now they're not, they're not doing a printed publication anymore. So that's the, the times they are changing. Yeah, there was a French music magazine that probably is still a French music magazine, Les Incroquables, which was amazing. Yeah. I, I lived in Paris for a year and and it was oh, my wow. kind of like, I would I would buy that on my way to, to down to the, the metro station. I'd buy it on a Wednesday. And it was, it was a fabulous music magazine, music weekly really really well written really really interesting artists for whatever reason the french always seem to latch onto british artists who are well a british and american artists actually artists in general who were perhaps considered a little bit more left field ended up becoming a lot more okay. mainstream in certain parts so it was it was always a good read and i ended up getting us continuing my subscription to that even after i moved back to the uk just because as far as i was concerned it was just the best music magazine that I could I could get my hands on but they would stack up that'd be the whole thing it'd just pop it down you might read a couple of things you pop it down and then the next one would come in and it just it, I ended up with like a, it just the stacks got bigger giant stack of them um, yeah <laughs> yeah huge huge stack of them and and then eventually you're gonna like it rain and then you spend a day just pouring through them all so what was the last thing you bought or acquired the last shiny thing the last thing you got where you were like oh yeah this is this is pretty cool I'm pretty happy with this yeah. So a couple of months ago, I decided to change my work setup just because I've been doing so many workshops virtually, as I'm sure you have too. And I bought two giant monitors. And when I opened them up, I thought, oh, they're too big. I'm going to send them back. It's too big. But I have adapted to them quite well now. And it's it's pretty wonderful. Like I'm kind of feeling like I've got my little stock exchange, particularly like when I'm writing. 
I might have a lot of windows open where I'm researching and having enough monitor space where I can actually put this reference material, another reference material, and I can have a lot of things up at once. And it's also great for workshops to have, because I use an app to stream when I'm doing a presentation and then I can have Zoom and I can have a Slido. I can have lots of things mm -hmm. open and see them all in front of me as opposed to like going to my laptop, going to my iPad. It's all in front of me. So new monitors, which again, does not sound like a very exciting purchase to make, <laughs> but that's the most recent exciting purchase that I have, I have to tell you about, Tim. Game changer though, but the thing that sprung to mind and it's fairly niche, but I'm thinking of Hugh Jackman in that awful swordfish movie. Yeah, I'm either that or I'm like a 13-year-old gamer, you know? <laughs> like when you're looking at all these laptops and it's like perfect for gaming, perfect for gaming, I'm like, I don't really need like that functionality so much, but, um, you know? But if a 13-year-old gamer wanted to come by, they might be able to, to play on, on these screens, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Excellent. The other thing I wanted to ask about is, your, so you started doing more videos recently, and you use a really interesting bit of software for doing those, which is very difficult to say. Oh, it's just, I, I think they gave it this name so you could feel silly when you're saying it. It's called Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And your listeners won't be able to see, but one of the, the things that's fun about it is you can put a background up with a green screen and then you can have, instead of your slides kind of taking up the majority of your screen, which they would with Zoom or Teams, this allows you to kind of just have a snapshot, like a newsreader, like, you know, someone, a newsreader, like doing the news, it comes up mm -hmm. in the corner. So yeah, I really like that because it just allows, when you think about, I don't know why they haven't changed this with a lot of the presenting software, like when you're presenting, you don't want people looking at just your slides. Like if you're talking, you want people to look at you and for you to be able to, to look at them and engage. So yeah, it's one I like to, to use. It's got features. I don't use all of the fun features that it has. You can put yourself in, you know, different colors, red or green or purple. You know, I, I'm not sure how important this is for a lot of business purposes like that I'm doing, but it, it's an option with it. But yeah, it just lets, just a point of difference, something that's to make things a little more fun and engaging. I looked into it and something, the thing that I found really interesting, like a potential opportunity, is you can kind of joint present with somebody else. So pull yes. another presenter in as well. That sounds yep. an interesting thing. Have you tried that yet? I've not tried that yet, but I have talked to quite a few people about, mm -hmm, I, I should maybe be getting a job for them, but I haven't, <laughs> I haven't had the opportunity to test it out with someone yet, but um, I'd be curious to see how it works. It, the whole idea of you put the slides up and you're, you're sort of relegated to a thing in the corner. If I'm doing a workshop, it's got to at least be mainly about me, if not all about me, <laughs> you know, and I, I just, I, I, I don't like being relegated to a small, small rectangle in the corner of the screen. It's not, it's not right. Well, and it makes, and it also encourages people to fill up their slides with text, which is a terrible idea. If you're, if you mm. are presenting, if you're actually talking, you know, to an audience, you don't want them having to, to decide if they're going to have to listen to you or, or read your slides. So yeah, I think the slides should be supporting what you are actually saying. Um, but that's an, that's another communication discussion for, for another time. <laughs> so last question, Beth, yes. I would like you to complete the following sentence. Do yourself a favor and... Follow your curiosity. Because when you follow your curiosity, you will learn new things. And it's fun to learn new things and to, to be challenged. And then you can come up with weird little anecdotes that you can share with other people. And they might like them too. So yeah, I always encourage people to follow their curiosity.
fantastic. Thank you so much, Lisbeth. This has been um, thank you. Uh, this is it's been a long time coming, and I've been it's been so good to talk to you. Um, I, where I, can hope it has, find I hope it's it's met your expectations. So yes, where can you find me? So I have my Substack, which is bethcolliersubstack.com, and the Substack's called Curious Minds. So if you Google Curious Minds, Beth Collier, you'll find it that way as well. And my website, which is beth-collier. Com. There are more than there's more than one Beth Collier, so make sure you uh, put the hyphen in between Beth and Collier, and then on LinkedIn as well. So again, if you put in Beth Collier in communications, I should come up. But I do share a lot of information on LinkedIn about communication, creativity, pop culture, all that good stuff. So yeah, those are three places to find me. Fabulous. Thank you very much, and thank you everybody for listening. We'll see you next time on Do Yourself a Favor. You've been listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. Brought to you by Make Work Work Better. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better. Our theme tune is by The Titanics. Talk to you again soon.